All right, you need to grab your Bible and open to Psalm chapter 106. We encourage you to get your eyes on a page. Grab your smartphone, grab one of the red Bibles around you. If you brought your own Bible, use that. We just love your eyes on the page, the Word of God, looking at that with us today. It's a value of ours. So take a moment to get to Psalm chapter 106. And while you're doing that, it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Uh, we give our moms flowers on Mother's Day, so it's appropriate that we give our dad candy bars. And, and so, and so uh, your kid, if you have kids over in the next building, they will be bringing you a candy bar, Dad. But uh, if you look around, you see a dad here whose kids are older than that or don't have kids over there today. We've got some candy bars over on the table. Nathan, where are those candy bars? They're in the orange bag. Make sure every dad walks out of here with a candy bar, uh, you know, regardless of, of whether they are diabetic or not, still get them a candy bar. Uh, and we would, lo- we would love that. All right, Psalm chapter 106. Uh, <clears throat> I-, I wonder, what does Ancestry.com know about you that you need to know about you? Ancestry.com. I, a few years ago, I discovered this. Uh, and I spent an entire month, they gave me one free month, I, uh, dis- I researched my history, at one point all the way back to Jamestown. Uh, I don't know if it's accurate or not back that far, but it was really fun to, to connect my story to the story of my past. It's my story. That's great. Ancestry.com spent $109 million last year advertising this. Jared, put that picture up there. Uh, advertising this simple DNA test. You can get your DNA tested and you send in your spit, I guess, and they test it and they tell you what your background is, where you come from, what are, what are your people like? Uh, it, you don't have to, I'm just curious if anyone here has had it done. Any, anyone brave enough to raise your hand? And say, Excellent, uh, all right, we got, we got some takers. 12, if you show this graph, 12 million Americans last year did this. Look at the, look at the chart. It's going off the charts with people wanting to connect uh, their DNA and find out their story. Uh, you know, a, a story is a grand narrative that ties our lives to a greater meaning. A story is about us tying our lives and remembering our past is important to us. But it's really depressing and aimless because our culture would tell us that there is no grand narrative of life. For most of the history of humanity, people were told their story to give their their personal stories meaning. They tied their story to a greater story. But we've forgotten our story. And so many of us don't know our own history. And we're told that these things that happen to us are seemingly meaningless. But as the people of God, we have a history. We're linked to a story. It forms our identity. So today we want to tell you this story. And when we read our story today as the people of God, we're going to read some history about, about our story. You may not like what you're going to read today. And you may not, it's kind of like, oh, I don't like that part of my story. And we're going to read some things about this in Psalm 106. And one of the most important things in life to remember is that we forget. It's important to remember in life that we forget. So let's not forget our story. I want to read the entirety of Psalm 106 today. And it's long and it's going to take some time. But hang in here with me, okay? We're going to read from Psalm 106, the whole thing. So get your eyes on a page and follow along with me. 
Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned, even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. You saved them for his name's sake, yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hands of the foe, from the hands of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave to their, into their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire blazed among their followers. A flame consumed the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped the idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. Miracles in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he, would, so he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and they did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hands that he would make them fall in the desert. Make their descendants fall among the nations and scatter them throughout the land, lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord to anger by their wicked deeds. Then a plague broke out among them, but Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. By the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He handed them over to the nations and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion. 
And they wasted away in their sins, but he took note of their distress. When he heard them cry, for their sake, for their sake he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray as we dig into this today. God, would you help us to remember, to identify, and to connect with the story of the people of God from generation to generation, and let us see the hope in remembering. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to do something a little different. I want to ask my friend Mike to come up here, uh, Mike Wagner. We're going to sit down, and we are going to have a dialogue about Psalm 106 today as something that's kind of a little bit unusual for us. So, Mike, have a seat there. Apparently, Mike did not get the note that you have to wear uh, sandals to be on stage here. Uh, I was <laughs> like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you guys need to get to know Mike a little bit. And I want to ask uh, a few questions just so you're like, why should you listen to this guy? Right. And, and uh, I, I got to know you about a year ago, uh, maybe a little bit more. How, tell us, how long have you been part of Waukee Community Church? I've been attending uh, for a little more than a year now. And... Um, uh, if you're looking for someone to blame, and who isn't, uh, uh, <laughs> Jordan's daughter, who was right here just a moment ago, yeah, uh, he said I should come and hang out here. So at least we know who to blame, right? right we all- <laughs> Excellent. I-, I like blaming people. That's great. Okay. Uh, you founded something, that, you know, for your day job. You yep. founded something called the White Rabbit Group. And tell us yeah. what, what that is just briefly. Uh, White Rabbit Group. I started 15 years ago. Um, I wanted to design a business that would never bore me, <laughs> and so that's what it was. Uh, we essentially help leadership teams. We build uh, leadership cultures inside businesses and organizations and not-for-profits and things like that. So, yeah. yeah, excellent. Yeah. Okay, so the reason that I brought you on stage today is because you have, you have a degree from uh, Dallas Seminary. What is that degree, and how does that tie into Psalm 106 today? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the degree is... Um, the degree is a THM, uh, and the THM stands for a Master of Theology degree. And um, it's a four-year degree program, and um, it includes Greek and Hebrew and every book of the Bible. And, uh, and one of my favorite classes, and we, we talked about this when you and I were visiting, uh, one of my favorite classes was the, the, the Psalm class, where we were asked to translate the Psalms. And so it was a Hebrew class where we were uh, taking a deep dive into, into Psalms. Uh, one of our professors used to say that um, at Dallas Seminary, we'll teach you things that, that you know, well, that have really no market value. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you answers to questions people will never ask or pay for. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was a real transformative class for me, Dave, because um, the Psalms came alive for me for the first time then. Uh, we, we probably all read them, but it really came alive for me. And the poetry... And the ability to unite your, your heart and your mind, um, that was transformative. Uh, lots of times at the end of um, classes, we just couldn't get up. We just sat there uh, overtaken by what we had just learned uh, from the scriptures. So the Psalms became really, really precious to us. 
Yeah, it's a great class. So Mike's been talking to me about Psalms for a year, and and I told him like I hate poetry. I, I just don't get poetry. Uh, Mike loves poetry, which is why he's here. Uh, he, he understands it better than I do. And uh, it's kind of funny when when I was in seminary, I would sit in my Hebrew class, and it's been twenty some years now. And I remember the my professor stood up there and said, "Men, you know when you leave here." You'll forget this Hebrew. He said, make sure every day that you spent five minutes or 10 minutes in the Hebrew. And I'm, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, and that didn't happen. And so <laughs> he actually listened. So M- Mike has uh, kept up on his Hebrew, but he, he loves the Psalms. And, and I just thought as we were diving into Psalm 106 and I was talking to him about it, I thought, this would be so fantastic for all of you to be part of this conversation that we've been having. And so I, I kind of want to just ask you some questions about Psalm 106, Mike, right. and kind of dive in there together. So uh, we have these Psalms, like Psalms 106, that's called a historical psalm, and, and it, it sort of rehearses history. Why, why do you think we have these kind of psalms in there? Uh, yeah, it, 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 psalms are given different kinds of names, like praise psalms or thanksgiving, or laments, which are there most of those. Uh, most of the psalms are laments over how long must we suffer for our sins. And uh, historical psalms are psalms that either re- represent one event in the history of Israel, like uh, the coronation of King David, or the rescue at the Red Sea, or maybe a string of events. And so we have the, those psalms there. I think that in part, the reason we have historical psalms is that Someone took serious Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 says that if you delight in the law of the Lord and you meditate on it day and night, um, blessing, flourishing comes to you. And uh, I think um, there was a, um, a songwriter who had been meditating on uh, the history of Israel and came to the choir director one day and said, you know, I got this great idea for a song, you know, that we can sing in tabernacle and, and praise in, in the temple. Um, it's it's all about it's all about what we how we screwed up in the wilderness. What do you think? <laughs> and the choir, <laughs> and the choir a master might have said something like, "Ah, yeah, we, we we already have so many laments." No, no, this is the twist. It's not a lament. It's not a lament, and um, it's a thanksgiving. And that's kind of the, the kind of the plot twist in this. It's 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 different than you might have expected. Yeah, I was actually reading this, thinking I think everyone's just going to get depressed before they leave as you walk through this. But there's this twist at the end that we'll get to. That's fantastic. Okay, context is important. I lo- love to quote D. A. Carson, who quotes his dad: "Is a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text." Context is everything, and the person who put these psalms together put these in order. Starting in Psalm 103, we see these connected. So my, how, are, how are Psalm 103, 104, 105 connected or similar and then leading up to Psalm 106? Yeah, so, you know, we, it's, you will have great benefit by reading the psalms anytime. But if you can see the context and the flow sometimes, it becomes even more rich and more powerful for you. And so, um, so, so think about it. To meditate, um, it's a great Hebrew word. It means, it's, the word is hagah. And hagah is um, associated with the sound that a, uh, a turtle dove makes when it's uh, in the morning. It's oh, ooh, a cooing type of sound, right? And so uh, that's just that kind of reflection. When you're reading something and you're just kind of almost muttering under your breath, 
I like the, um, there's another passage where Hagah is connected to um, a bear uh, uh, eating its prey. And so, because that's one that I can relate to, you know. (laughs) So it's the sound that you just go, yum, 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 yum. You know, it's just that kind of munching. And so what I think is happening is um, if you look at Psalm 106, it rehearses the history of Israel from the Red Sea through their wilderness wanderings and then what happens early on when they arrive in the land. So that's what 106 is. If you back up and you look at 105, 105 uh, talks about um, the promise made to Abraham and to the forefathers. And so it rehearses that. And then how that promise was renewed to the people of Israel, the tribe, and how they ended up in Egypt and how God rescued them in Egypt. So if you think about 105, 105 is Abraham all the way to the Red Sea. Uh, 106 is the Red Sea all the way to arrival in the land. If you back up a little farther and get into Psalm 104, 104 is about God the creator um, and uh, how God has established the foundations of the world and why he deserves our praise. And so what you have in 104, 105, and 106 is all five books of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, reflected on. In 103 is uh, a psalm of David put in the very beginning to kind of uh, prepare you for what you're about to read because it's... And we had that. Ben was here when you were gone, and we you, allegedly you were somewhere else doing something. But, uh, when, but when, when, when Ben was here, Ben ta- taught us uh, the beauty of Psalm 103 and how that's going to... Uh, actually, when you think about 103 and what it says about forgiveness and our sins and all those issues that we have, you can see it how it uh, almost foreshadows what's going to happen mm-hmm. in 104, 105, and 106 especially. Right. So it, it, that, those, they kind of all flow together. And you see what happens when you meditate on the law. What happens when you meditate on the law. Yeah. Okay, so Psalm 118 verse 1 uh, is related to this. Uh, the first verse in Psalm 106, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We, we just sang that. It was like Peter knew what was coming here, a craziness. Uh, but we just say, I've heard this phrase before. It, it, it's kind of like uh, it's, it appears elsewhere in the Psalms, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it, it became like um, it became a, a phrase that, as uh, in many of our modern uh, worship courses, that's a great line. Let's repeat that. And so it shows up in a variety of other places as well, yeah. Yeah, Psalm 118.1, give thanks to the Lord. He's good, his love endures forever. Yes, exactly. Uh, and yeah. It's over and over again. Yeah, and so and when you do the research, you can see that phrase became really, really popular uh, among songwriters, uh, hymn writers, psalm writers, yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, that's great. So we're, he, the psalmist is not afraid to steal a line, you know, in his psalms, right? <laughs> it's a good line. Steal from the best. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. That's good. Okay, yeah. so there's this word in here that jumps out to me. There's this language of this relationship. Uh, in, in the Bible terms, we talk about it as the covenant. What, what is this covenant, and how does this phrase pop up, this idea of a covenant between God and his people? And how is that essential to the text, to understanding what's happening here? Yeah, you're, so we're looking at the big story. This is the story that you and I are part of. We were brought into the story through Jesus. But uh, this is the big story of Israel. And the big story of Israel is about uh, the fall, the, the garden and God's creation and how um, we fall from 
from grace and we sin, and all of humanity finds itself on the outside. But God, but God doesn't give up on us. And so God wants to actually enlist us as partners in the recreation, the reestablishment of a relationship with him. And so that's what covenant is. In fact, one good word to summarize what covenant is, so it's many, many angles you can have on it. Covenant is like a partnership with God. God makes these, these promises that he alone can, can keep. Uh, and we're asked to make commitments to these, these, these promises he makes. But it, remember, the partnership is this. The partnership is about actually helping all the world regain its relationship with God that we lost when we sinned. And so we were meant to be part of this, this renewal, this, this light to the nations, this, uh, this restoration. And that's kind of where the story kind of takes us, is that we're covenant partners with God, and we're going to see how that goes <laughs> in yeah. just a minute or two. So, okay, I'm going off script now, Mike. Uh, let, let me ask you that. I knew this okay. was bound to happen. Uh, th- this covenant. So I was warned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave him a list of questions, and I said, I'll come up with something else on the fly here. Uh, so this idea of covenant, we read the Old Testament, and we typically think of, oh, those Israelites. Are they, they're so stupid. They're so dumb. How could they not get this? And yet, it's not really, it's not really oh, those Israelites, is it? No, it's, it's kind of you and me too, right? And so um, what you see when you look at, first, the law of Moses, and you see it in the Psalms, you see it in uh, the Proverbs, you certainly see it in the pro- uh, prophets, is what we're going to see is that from the very, very beginning, um, there was a problem. And um, it wasn't a problem with God. It wasn't a problem with the, the covenant of promises he makes. But there's something going wrong. Uh, Moses uh, coined some words for it. You have hard hearts. Um, something, we have a heart problem that's going on. So we're God's partners. He wants to, to actually bring his saving message. Salvation is of the Lord. But he wants to partner with us as far as agents and ways to bring that message. And yet we have a heart problem ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's not just the Israelites. It's literally everyone has this heart problem. And... Um, so how is it going to work? Uh, is, is, the, is the project of bringing salvation in the world uh, through the grace of God, is that going to fail? Uh, will there never be a new heaven, a new kingdom, uh, a new earth? What's going to happen? Uh, that's that's yeah. where we're left. And I, I think sometimes when I read this, I go, I go oh, those Israelites. But like, that's me. I mean, that, that, that's me. Well, it's me. my story, too. It's yeah. my story. I, I, I own that. And even if I don't like it. Uh, when I was doing my research in Ancestry.com, one of the things I came across was the name John Reviser, the middle name Reviser. Now, I've shared with many of you that I, I think that's the best middle name ever. I lobbied my wife hard to get that for our last kid, and I lost. So, uh, but uh, John Reviser. And, and so I started, it, it comes up over and over. I started asking questions to older family relatives, and oh, yeah. John Reviser, oh yeah, he ha- Uncle John hated his middle name and whatnot. But I found out where it came from. There was a John Reviser cross. On the, he lived on the south side of Des Moines down by Principal Park, but when there were no, nothing down there. And uh, he was a doctor, and he was on the way to, in the middle of the night, took his horse and buggy to go deliver a baby. 
And uh, he got done at like 3 a.m. And, and he was tired and horses know the way home. So he just went to sleep and let the horses get the way. The only problem is horses don't understand that their trains don't stop for horses. And it just wiped him out. And, and, uh, and I thought, oh, that's horrible. And so his daughter named her son after her dad. Anyway, I, I was reading that. And I was like, well, that's morbidly funny, I guess. But uh, that, that's me. Like, those are my genes in there. Maybe not the brightest guy in the bunch. But that, that's my story. And I just think sometimes we don't read this and go, oh, this is our story. It is our story. Yeah, and even then, I think people could have heard this and said, well, that was them, not us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've gotten past that. That was our forefathers, but we're much smarter, much more advanced. And um, I think the psalm says, mm, think again, think yeah. again. Yeah, so verse 4, the psalmist credit, remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to the people. In light of everything he's about to say, is that really a good thing to ask? Do we want God to remember us in light of everything that yeah. we've read in Psalm 106? So when you read that, he's, he's, he's not saying remember me because I'm not like my, my ancestors. Remember me, I'm different. Remember me, I have a different story, a different, different um, uh, loyalty to you. Remember me because I'm really righteous where other people are unrighteous. He's, he's saying something like this. Remember me the way you remember your people. You made promises, and I want to be part of those promises. Uh, I have no hope if I don't connect with your people. Uh, I have no hope if I'm not uh, part of the covenant. Um, So remember me, because I know your faithfulness, only hope I have. Uh, So he's not saying, I have a better story. He's just saying, remember me. Yeah. Um, Because I know you will remember your covenant. Mm -hmm. I want to be part of that. Yeah, calling on God's faithfulness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, so uh, he then dives into about nine different examples of, of what, these, what, what these Israelites did. Now, we don't have the context. Like, uh, for the psalmist, the Israelites, when he would just reference a story, they would be like, oh, yeah, I know that story. And, and they know their history. We, we're not in tune with our Bible history. We, some of these things, you're like, what, what is that? I, I thought maybe we could walk through those for a second. Because if I say... If I reference Gettysburg or George Washington crossing the Delaware, you probably have an idea what I'm talking about. If I reference the Cubs World Series win, this group especially should know what I'm talking about. Well taught. But we may, know, we may not know some of these things. So uh, we see right away, we, we see these nine things. Just give us maybe a, a brief yeah. uh, example. So the first thing he says is uh, he talks about the Red Sea. And uh, what's going on there in, in Red Sea when he says he, he rebuked them? What, what's going on there in verse 8 and following? Yeah, 7 through 12. Well, um, mm-hmm. So these are like hyperlinks. Think about it like that. The, uh, the moment they would hear some of this language, the rest of uh, the, the listeners, the rest of the audience, the rest of the worshipers would have this thing blowing up in their mind. Oh, that's about the Red Sea. And that's, oh, that's an exodus. And oh, that's that's... Oh, that's when we blew it even before we got out of Egypt. Uh, so that's really what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about, you know, in Exodus 14, uh, they see Pharaoh's armies coming. Oh, God, yes. And then the Red Sea, we're right there at the Red Sea, and our ancestors were there. And then what did they say? Oh, Moses, wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? Did you have to bring us out here to be buried? Even then. And God was great brought us through on dry land. But they right away says, man, this is already going south. This is already twisting. 
So that was the first thing they saw. Right. In the de- verse 14, in the desert, they gave in to their cravings. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. What's that about? Uh, numbers 11. Uh, so the hyperlink would go to Numbers 11. Numbers 11 is, uh, oh, we're out here and all we have to eat is this thing that you've given us called manna. Uh, Hebrew word probably means something like mahana. What is it? You know, it's kind of like what you sometimes say when you're at camp, you know, and you get, you're given food. What is it? it was, so even then, mystery meat was a part of the, the, the people of God's experience. And so he gave them quail uh, because they, they were upset about it, and then they, they just gorged themselves on it, and then they got sick. And they already, they, the God's, you ups, you're upset because the journey's hard, and, and God supplies an answer, and you're grumbling. You're unhappy. You're unhappy. So uh, it's, it's already this discomfort. We can't handle any discomfort. Uh, we want everything to be perfect for us. Yeah, it's like my wife is an amazing cook. She'll put an amazing meal. But with six kids, one of them's not going to like it. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I go, oh, do I have to eat this? What are you talking about? This is amazing. Unless it's Brussels sprouts, and then that person would be me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so we keep going. Uh, in the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron who were consecrated to the Lord. What, what's that about? What's yeah, so, so God gives them leaders, and, um, and they're jealous of, uh, of Moses. Um, that's in uh, number 16. And um, they say, you, you think you're so spiritual? You know, you're like, some, like closer to God than anybody else. And um, they don't want to be led. They don't want any of God's representatives to lead them. And uh, so um, they've been led this way this long by Aaron and Moses. And now it's like, okay, we, they, we can take it from here. And um, they're, they're really just jealous of what God's doing through other people. Yeah, and it doesn't go well. There are times when God just decisively shows who's in charge. That one's great. The, the ground just opens up, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to read number 16 uh, sometime. Yeah. Uh, no. All right, uh, verse 19. At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast for metal. What's that about? You know, so um, this is the people who are God's partners through covenant that are supposed to be the means of salvation coming to the world. All right? And... They, they, they bail on God already. And so they form a calf, and there's idolatry. And so now they're, they're going to worship a false god uh, made in the image of something that eats grass. You know, that's probably put in there as a kind of uh, just a little dig. Uh, <laughs> sure. they're, they're already there. Now, interesting side note is the Apostle Paul reflecting on Psalm 106 will quote 106 in Romans chapter 1. And he'll say, they exchange the glory of God. And what's interesting, though, is in Romans 1, he's referring to pagan Gentiles. But here it was the Jews, the Israelites. And he's saying, wow, we're all in this together, aren't we? We all exchange the glory of God. So just a little that would not have been missed by Roman Jews uh, in the time of Paul. They got that. They knew what was saying. One of the things that jumped out to me in this passage is the, the, the words remember and forget. So the psalmist says earlier, God, remember me. And then, oh, but we didn't remember. We forgot. We forgot. There, there's this chain of words that link through here. And, yeah. and you can see this again. It's, it's like these people in Israel. I mean, Moses disappears up on the mount for a few days. And they go, oh, we forgot what happened. Let's just, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Aaron's excuse is the best, by the way, when Moses comes down. He goes, the people gave me their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and poof, out popped this calf. Yeah, <laughs> it's these people. Um, yeah, you're meant to see kind of like what Adam said in the garden, just kind of blaming. 
blame shifting, all that type of stuff is going on. They're seeing it happen over and over again. Yeah, because yeah, I would never blame anyone else for my mistakes, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of <laughs> the piece that I look at in this. Yeah, part of the hard heart is nothing go- gets deep, so it doesn't stick. That's, that's, what it, that's what the hard heart is. It's just like if it doesn't go deep and if it doesn't stick, then you don't remember. Mm. Yeah, and so you keep forgetting. Verse 25, they grumble in their tents and didn't obey the Lord. What's, what's he talking about there? It's when they draw back. It's, uh, they're all the way to the promised land and uh, this pleasant land, and they go, oh, yeah, I'm not feeling it. And so um, they, they back off of that. It's not in Numbers 14. Okay. And, um, and in Numbers 14, 11, look this up, is um, it's not that they just have contempt for the land. What, what Numbers points out is they have contempt for the Lord. So 14.11 says, they have contempt for me. Mm. Think about it. If, if, you, if you have contempt for the gift, you have contempt for the giver. And that's what happened. Yeah. And he's reminding them of all these things. 28, they yoked themselves to the bale of Peor. What is that about? <laughs> uh, well, you know, they, they balk at the land. Um, they begin to... Uh, look for false gods, uh, and in this desert region of Peor, uh, they find the Baal, the Baal, the, another false god. And uh, this is really apostasy when they're giving up. Their, their partnership, their covenant is with the Lord who rescued them from Egypt, uh, the one who gave them uh, access to him through, uh, through Moses. And now they're, they're just totally giving up on the project. And uh, they're not going to be part of God's partnership now we're going to give ourselves to the Baal of Peor. Yeah, and then Phineas comes around. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, you want to... Yeah, it could be a long conversation to get into <laughs> Phineas. Um, just let me say, someone took decisive action to put an end to this. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a very graphic way. So yes. you can read that one as well. Verse 32, by the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord. Well, what's he, uh, trouble came to Moses because of them. What happened there? Um, they're backing up. They're not going into the land. Moses um, is frustrated. Uh, he's driving him crazy. And he often complains to God about these people you've given me. You know, um, in fact, uh, I think in this passage, this is uh, Numbers 25, or um, no, Numbers 20. Um, Moses says, hey, they're not my kids. I didn't give birth to these people. Why, why am I doing I mean, It kind of reminds me of not my monkeys, not my circus. And yet, no, your monkey's your circus, Moses. And he's frustrated. And so in a rash moment, he disobeys God and he strikes the rock instead of uh, speaking to the rock to get water, to solve the problem, shut them up. You know, yeah. Sometimes you, as a leader, just what's it going to take to shut them up? And that's what he did. So verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. And then he uses all this language. They mingled, they, they adopted their customs, they worshiped their idols, they sacrificed their sons. And just, it gets worse and worse and worse. What, what's he talking about there? Uh, they're, um, they're saying, okay, this whole story that we're supposed to be part of, we don't want to be a part of that story. We want, we're, we're going to adopt the customs of this new place. Their story is going to become our story. We're giving up completely on our story, our mission. Um, That's who we are. And it's it's so wicked that they end up sacrificing children and are involved in this crazy, crazy 
moment, but it's like I'm, I want the story of my culture. That's more important to me than the story that God's giving me. And it's really the height of this. Even when they get in the land, they, they say, I don't want God, and I don't want your story, and I don't want your gift, and I disdain it all. And so that's, that's this rehearsing. This is the historical psalm. Yeah, this is depressing. Okay, one, <laughs> one more piece. Uh, ver- verse 40. Remember, it, it, it's going to be at Thanksgiving. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> Thanks. It's coming. Right. Yeah. Uh, verse 43. Yeah. I, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sins. He took note of their distress. He heard their cry. This is probably, I think we talked about a reference mm-hmm. to judges. What's going on in there? Yeah, it's, um, it's a pattern. So now, this, you know, sometimes when we give in to sin, um, it doesn't remain an isolated incidence, but it becomes our pattern of life. So our story becomes the thing that we rehearse over and over again. Um, and we probably all have seen it in our own lives, right? Let's confess it. Let's admit it. We've also seen it uh, probably easier in other people's life, like, oh, you, you keep going back to the same people and the problems. You keep, you know, doing the same things in your marriage, you, it, the pattern. And this is a description of the pattern, and it's over and over again. And Judges is a great example, when you read through Judges, of a reoccurring cycle. You, you describe it as a spiral, I think, or something, don't you? Yeah, I think the Judges is a downward spiral, so it's a cycle. Got, the people sin, they abandon God, he enslaves them to an enemy, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he, they cry out. He, he, he raises up a deliverer. He, God delivers them and rescues them, and they follow him for a few years, and then they fall into sin again, and the cycle just repeats over and over. But instead of just being a circle over and over, it's a downward spiral because every time they sin, it's worse, and every time God raises up a deliverer, he's morally worse than the one before till we get all the way to the bottom where there's Samson, who is just despicable. I mean, this guy is despicable and awful, and God even uses Samson to deliver his people. Because God's committed to his covenant. Yeah. God God is not going to give up. So this is depressing. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) I I think about this, and we we adhere to a, generally as a culture, we adhere to a three strikes policy. Yeah, right. You know, when we work with someone hurts us once, okay, we'll forgive them. They hurt us twice. All right, you're on your last chance. They hurt us a third time, and we're done, right? We're like, our relationship is, is over. Yeah. Uh, I, seems like they get more than three strikes here. Yeah, they do. Um, because God is the covenant-keeping God. And um, he is determined to rescue the world from sin. And he's determined uh, to... Um, use his people in some way, even though it looks like it's impossible. They have failed in every way. They've abandoned him. They, are, they're, they don't want to be part of it. They have taken on a brand new story. You can't tell them from the rest of the world. And yet God says, no, I'm going to use them. And it's, 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 it's stunning. It's stunning. Um, just the whole idea of heart shows up. Um, man, they, what's wrong with our hearts? Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are resistant. Our hearts can't let the word in. What's wrong with us? And Moses talks about this, and the Psalms talk about this. Then the prophets start talking about it. And they say, wow, I think, I think God's going to have to do something to our hearts. I think it's that bad. I don't think we can do this. I, I think the lessons that 
we keep needing this forgiveness because there's something so wrong with us, so wrong that we can't fix it. You get to Jeremiah 31, and he says, wow, I, I, I need to give you a, a new heart, a new covenant, because um, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up on you. Yeah. And, and it's a, when you get a little emotional because for right, we see ourselves in this. I mean, how many of you haven't looked at God and go, God, how many chances are you going to give me? Yeah, we do. You know, we have, we have ways that we kind of get around this. The, the Psalms, remember the Psalms are kind of, um, they're meant to tenderize us. They are, they pound on us and tenderize us because they don't want you simply to know facts about God. They want you to let the, the heart experience God. Don't know that honey is sweet. Taste and see that it's sweet. You know, that's the, the imagery. Experience, let God fully experience, um, pour into your life. Let that God experience pour into your life. And that's, so, so we have these different ways. So like one way we might say, I'm going to minimize this. Well, that's not as bad. And that was then. That was a long time ago. So we minimize. That's one thing. But people like us sometimes, when we gather in churches like this to worship, we really want to do what's right. But we don't want to admit that we have a heart problem. And what that does to you, it crushes you. You can't bear it. They put that weight on you, and you just cannot bear it. That's what Jesus is going to say in the Gospels. I'm not here to put a burden on that you can't carry. That burden is too much. Your heart problem is too profound. I'll give you the law, and you will be crushed by it because you can't do it. You'll never do it. And then there's this word. This great word, this great Hebrew word, hesed. It's verse four. We see it three times in this psalm. You see it in verse uh, 1. Thanks to the Lord, his love, his hesed endures forever. That's the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, in verse 7, they did not remember your many kindnesses. That, that's the word hesed again. Mm-hmm. And then we get it right here in verse 45. For their sake, he remembered his covenant. Out of his great hesed, he relented. Talk about this word a little bit. It's such a powerful yeah. word. Yeah, we used to joke that, you know, if you're going to speak Hebrew, you don't want to have a sore throat because uh, it's, it's always guttural. So it's chesed. It comes down here. It's like if you speak German, it's always a guttural. It always starts down here. Yeah, chesed. And uh, chesed is this word. And what, what it means is that when God makes a promise, something comes with that promise. When God makes a covenant, Something comes with that covenant, and what comes with it is chesed. And chesed is loyal love, committed love, love that you cannot deplete, love that you will never give up on, love that never says you've sinned one too many times, you're on your own, a love that is truthful and tough but never, never abandons you. And chesed is the only hope of the psalmist And the psalmist looks at the history of Israel and he says, it's me and it's you and it's all of us. All we've got is Hesed. That's all we've got. That's all we've got. And he says, we've got that. Let's give thanks. And things twist. And the world changes. 
because not because he remembers their successes, it's because he remembers God, God's love. And the whole psalm turns in verse 47. He can pray for salvation. So uh, it reminds me of a story that I've told often, but uh, my daughter Anna, who's 16 right now and currently flying back from Ethiopia, uh, when she was about three or four years old, we, we were lived down in Enola, and she was outside playing, and Clarissa had been working so hard with her to potty train her. And, uh, but, you know, as a three-year-old, she's just like, having fun in the summer outside. Stopping to go to the potty was just like, annoying, so she, she'd literally just pee her pants and just keep playing. And, and I'm, Clarissa had had this conversation with her over and over and over and over again, and, uh, and she knew it. And I was walking out of the house, and Anna comes running in, bawling. So I stepped down to her knee. What's wrong, sweetie? Daddy, I pee-peed my pants again. And she, like, she knew. She chose it. She knew it. And I knew that Clarissa was, I mean, she was at her breaking point. And so I told, I told Anna, I whispered something in her ear, and her eyes light up, and she looks at me and smiles, and, and she runs off. She runs up to her mom. Mommy, I pee pee my pants. Have mercy. <laughs> you know? And, and Clarissa gives me this look, you know. Like, <laughs> See you later. I got to go to work. Uh, but I, I thought that it's such a great reminder because you and I are just Anna. We're just, we're just little kids who can, we know it. We do it over and over and over again. But God's a hesed love is so big that we can cry out for mercy. And that's our story. That's our story. Yeah. So I, yeah. we were talking well, about story. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's when, so if we can't do it and we need a new heart and we've always failed and all the people of Israel failed and they had all these advantages and they failed, what's going to happen? And what happens is that God says, I'll do it. And um, God joins us and becomes one with us in Jesus. And um, the Gospels say that he was tempted in the wilderness. What happened out there? He doesn't give in. He's tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, but he doesn't give in. He's, uh, he's our hope. He's our, he is the love um, who comes and takes our place and takes our sin and rescues us. And our story now is we're covenant people with new hearts, but our story is the story of Jesus. And it's what we connect to. It's who we are. So when we look back and see ourselves in Psalm 106 and say, this is our story, yet we tie it to the gospel. And if if you don't link it to Jesus, it's despair. But when we link it to the cross and the resurrection, now our story is a story of God's hesed love for us. And so really the question is, what story are you going to believe? What's your story? I, yeah. And I'd love to talk you to talk a little bit about Julia Allison. Oh, uh, Julia. The, yeah, yeah. I, got, I think I got a picture of her up here. Um, yeah. There she is, yeah. Yep. Um, so um, June is a special month this month. We have Father's Day and everything. But something happened 20 years ago that was really, really special. Some of you probably know it and some of you don't. But 20 years ago, the first episode of Sex and the City was broadcast. (laughs) I know. Just take a moment. Just kind of let that in. Um, 
So there was this girl in high school named Julia um, who was enamored with that story. And she's in Chicago. And here's what she says. I'm going to go live that story. I'm going to go be Carrie Underwood. And that's what she set out to do. And so she goes out. This is a, a story that appeared this, uh, this month in uh, the New York Post. Uh, she goes to New York City, and she becomes Carrie Underwood. It's not Carrie Underwood. It's uh, oh, Carrie, what is it? Uh, Carrie something, right? Carrie Bradshaw. Hey, Thank you. All right. I'm, I got... <laughs> She's like, I just admitted that. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is actually an intervention, and uh, <laughs> we were hoping uh, that we. Pre- <laughs> so uh, yeah, so so yeah, with Carrie Bradshaw, and so uh, she starts a romance dating column. Uh, she uh, gains celebrity. Uh, she's famous. The picture that is here. She goes to the premiere of the movie of Sex in the City. Um, she lives that whole life. That becomes her life. In fact, I've got a couple of quotes here. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss this. So um, she says, uh, Julia says, the show was my roadmap. The show was my roadmap. And she lives it. And what she finds out is she was on the wrong story. The story destroys her. You know, one of the things that we have, you know, your neighbors, my neighbors, and us, we, we oftentimes are on the wrong story. She, Julie got on the wrong story. Uh, it totally just, just, just blows her up. She's, she, she buys into the dating. Um, that's horrible. She gets so confused. She gets so compromised. Uh, everything in her life breaks. It breaks because she was on the wrong story. And uh, here's the great line from this, from this article. Truth be told, I wish I had never heard of sex in the city. It did permanent and measurable damage to my psyche that I'm still trying to clean up. I don't know that she's on the right story, but she knows that story ends in despair. Um, What's your story? What's your story? Um, Hey, I'm a successful professional living in a suburb. Is that your story? So my story is I'm just an everyday guy doing my thing. My story is I'm a retired person. Uh, It's my story. I'm an athlete. What is my story? I'm, you know, what is your story? And it's easy for us to choose the wrong story and say that's who I am. Yeah. So So I know that we're just a few minutes long, but I thought how appropriate for us to just pause for, uh, for a few moments and think about what our story is to dwell on. What, what's the story of my life? Have a, is, is my story Psalm 106? Is my story the gospel? Is my story Jesus? Or is it something else? And as our worship team comes up, just sit for about 30 seconds and, and just close your eyes and dwell on that question. And then ask the Holy Spirit to maybe reveal this truth to you today.